Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I am one of your hosts, Frank Gill, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My buddy all the way in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hey, guys. <laughs> Down in Sumter, South Carolina, my other very reformed friend, Delmar Pete. So good to see you. And together, streaming in the Jewel of Tampa Bay, Safety Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson. It's not nice to make fun of people, guys. And it's not Timothy kind. Miller. I'm just tired. <laughs> Tim didn't like I our listen, joke. Listeners, I'm sorry. Uh, we we I did a, I did a false take on this. My voice cracked a little bit. A little and, bit. A little and bit. they decided to <laughs> to mock me. But how you guys doing? Well. We'll be doing a lot better after the lightning victory tonight. Yes. Yeah, buddy. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, so I got into uh, 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 DMs with um, a couple guys from Tampa, Jonathan and Kina. I uh, They asked a question on their Facebook story about hockey. Hmm. So I had to let, let them know that, yes, you can change players in the middle of a game. Uh, I <laughs> wow. described yes. what icing was in a message, which ended up being pretty long. And I think I also described how offsides works. So you're welcome, guys. See you tonight for the game. That sounds like the conversation I had with my wife on Saturday during the game. So well I done. I feel like icing is the hardest one for people to it get. Is. It yeah, is. It, it is. Guys, it's just a delay of game, basically. It, exactly. Um, why don't they just call it that? Because it's hockey. Yep. Yeah. I will say hockey is the one sport that I think I could get into. Listen, <laughs> hockey doesn't conform to you, Dell. You conform to hockey. <laughs> okay. Like a MacBook. I got you. <laughs> So, hey, let's dive into some clergy cliff notes. Hey, Andrew. Yeah, guys. So, my clergy cliff no, note. No, no, no. Oh, my lead bad. Us, lead us I'm into so it. I'm so sorry. Hang on. Cliff notes. Clergy cliff notes. I don't remember what I sang last <laughs> week, but up, but up, but up. There's stuff we think you should know. And we read about them on the internet. Da 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 da. All right, write down the lyrics for next week. Are we really doing this? I love it. Andrew, (laughs) read us your clergy cliff note. So my clergy cliff note is coming to us from uh, Carrie Newhoff. I I like Carrie Newhoff quite a bit. Of course, I have just lost the file. There we go. The of the Great White North. I lost it again. (laughs) Go go back. Hang on. I'm teaching Andrew the internet. Go back. Hit the X when it said, do you want to learn more? Hit no. (laughs) He doesn't understand pop-ups and advertisements. He'll get there. I would like to learn more. I'm new to this. So uh, last week, Carrie Newhoff had a post called The Church Has Left the Building, Five Truths About the Future Church uh, Attendance and Commitment. And so the five main points were – This isn't really new. People were already attending less pre-COVID. The second point being engagement will become the new church attendance because attendance was never the goal. The third point was churches that equip Christians will eclipse churches that gather them. Your online attendance will outpace your in-person attendance. And on-demand access will be more important than live streaming. So before we dive into the individual points, my thought going into this was as much as I I like what Carrie has to say and write, this is a blog post. Blogs are kind of predicated on getting clicks. And so each and every week, maybe a couple times a week, he has something that comes across as this bold prophetic statement that, you know, can't possibly be wrong. And it's not a scientific research paper. This is a blog post and he's usually fairly accurate, but this is not something that is being checked by fact checkers or there's there's no Pew research going into this. But with all that said, I think there's some pretty interesting points. You know, the first one just being that this isn't new. Church attendance was dropping. One of the things that we've been reading for the past several months is that the pandemic is not changing anything. It's just accelerating what was already happening. Wow. And I think you know, looking at the families that have been around or haven't been around, you could see maybe, and I don't know what your church is like, but the the people that were likely to maybe disappear for a few weeks at a time are the ones that are now disappearing for a few months at a time. Mm-hmm. So this is just kind of accelerating what was already happening. Um, the second point was that the engagement will be more important than attendance. I thought that was really kind of interesting because you know what's the phrase that every big church has used for the past 20 years 
we count people because people count and sure. people matter to God, something to that effect. Yep. Like, you know, we're not all about numbers, but each number represents a person. Therefore, we're going to be all about numbers. And he's saying, you know, we shouldn't be focusing on attendance. We should be focusing on engagement, to which I say yes, but – and I pastor a church that's maybe 70 people – you're not going to get engagement if you don't have people there to be engaged. So that has to be considered as well. Um, I love this, that churches that equip Christians will equip or will eclipse churches that gather them. So what should we be focusing on equipping people? I mean, as, as pastors, isn't our job to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, not just to gather them to come hear us talk. I thought that was interesting. The, Online attendance will outpace your in-person. I think that's the one that's going to be the easiest to be like, nah, I don't think so. I don't think we're quite there as a culture, at least where, where we are as a church. Um, you know, we've been about 60-40-ish during this season, but everybody that is watching online for the most part says, you know, they're they're looking forward to the day when they are coming back. I don't think there's a day coming where the online growth will really outpace the in-person growth. But I did find this compelling. The The reason that I put this article in here was um, the point five on-demand access will become more important than live streaming. Yeah, this is the one the, that intrigued me the most. Yeah, too. And, yeah. And the argument was, you know, we, we kind of operate church, especially during this live stream age, like it's TV in the 80s is what he says. So, you know, if you don't tune in, you're going to miss it mm. when really we're living in the Netflix or YouTube age and premium content content that you can get whenever you want is going to beat out mediocre content that you have to tune in at a very specific time to get. And I think all of our churches, you know, we're, we're live streaming or we're debuting something at a specific time, but most of the content is still available for forever. Um, afterwards, you know, it's, it's on your site or it's on your social media in perpetuity. But this idea that let's really go all out and create something that is not just supposed to be watched at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, but something that could be watched, you know, at two o'clock on a Tuesday or, or whenever it is that you're tuning in. And that will get you way more impact with your people than expecting them to, to tune in right whenever your regular services are. But I just struggle because like, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I agree. I love the idea of on-demand access, but I'm not a content creator. I'm a pastor. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I, I don't Thank run you. a multi-billion dollar company like Netflix. I pastor a church of 200 people. So I, I, I get that on-demand access sounds amazing, but am I going to have to hire a guy who can figure that out? Because I'm not that guy. I think a lot of, you know, what you're seeing is the, the churches and, and Frank, you guys have done a really good job of this, but, you know, kind of breaking down the sermon content for little social media nuggets here and there, or, you know, let's, you know, here's a three minute portion of the sermon. And if you want to check out the rest of it, swipe up, or there's a link in the bio for the rest of the sermon. I think that is what is super compelling. Mm. And I don't know that anybody is tuning in for after the whole fact, thing. And, and I, yeah, I, was, I don't know what everybody's CCLI license or whatever license you use. Um, eventually someone's going to have to start cracking down because broadcasting music live is one thing, but keeping the the video of the live music on your website for forever is a different thing than, than broadcasting the music in a live stream. So eventually it's going to be, maybe you should say the sermon content should be become on demand more so than the rest of the service elements. That's fair. And I think what you were talking about, the small clips, um, I've heard Joe Rogan refer to those as entrance ramps. You know, he'll post these small clips. It's like, it's just really an entrance ramp, almost like a flyer for your church. Oh man, that really spoke to me. Um, you know, my, my gut reaction when I first saw you send us this link was the whole idea of your, your online attendance outpacing your in-person attendance. I'm thinking, well, maybe so, but if you're, if you do well at the number three, then maybe not. Cause number three was, listen, we need to be equipping our Christians and, and right now our culture is trying to redefine what does it mean to be together? I think that's the big, to me, that's the big question that we are running into as Christians. What is togetherness? I mean, we've gone through these big hurdles in our faith, like um, who who should have the scriptures, right? And we determine that should be in the vernacular of the average person. And now we're having to go as, what does it mean to be together? And the thing that I'm just level with you as a 
pastor. I'm 34 now. I'm struggling with the the newer concept in the younger generation that together means I'm I'm sitting at home in my internet in my underwear on on TikTok and I'm with you on TikTok. Um, and and I, I'm wondering like how how hard do we put that stake in the ground that it means physically? Cause I'm a physically together kind of person, you know, like when we take communion, it is the saints together declaring together collectively. This is the gospel, the object lesson of it. You know, if I just take it in my home, like, is that together? And I think when we lean all the way in and say, well, no, it's just about reaching them online and getting more engagement there. Like, are we in essence saying, okay, then just leave the back door open. I mean, I I feel like when I have talked to my people uh, during COVID, uh, so many of them have been like, I want to be back in church. Like I want to be around other people. And I'm not talking about just like an older generation. I'm talking about like people my age, people younger than me. And so I think like, I think there's so many people who are just like the, 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 the lack of physical community is something that people are hungry for. And so I feel like this article is a little bit of like, like the sky is falling in the sense that like it's kind of predicting that um, our online attendance will outpace your in-person attendance. I think that only means in the confines of your reach can now expand outside of like your zip code. You know what I'm saying? So like I know for our attendant, for our church, like our stream is reaching people in other states and I think some other countries, which have been great. But like our church is now processing, well, what does it look like to disciple them when they don't attend our actual physical locations? And that's a conversation I think should be had, but I, I feel like it's naive to think that like because of six months, seven months of COVID, people are going to be like, I only want to stay at home. I never want to be in person. I think there's people who may want that because of, you know, fear. They, they of, wanted of, that before COVID though. People that are introverted like that, they were that way before COVID happened. Well, and, and maybe you're a nurse and so you don't get Sunday mornings off or, yeah. or, or, or maybe you're the cart girl at a golf course and Sunday mornings when you're going to make the most money and you've got someone that you got to provide for. So there, there's all of that as well. But I just, I remember what is this like a year, year and a half ago when Judah Smith launched the church home, you know, Hey, we're going to, people thought he was crazy. And people thought he was a, her, people thought he was a heretic, you know, how dare this person suggest that church can happen at home from my phone? Um, but then we're also supposed to forsake not the assembling together. And so there's, there's... And I think that's where we're at. What does it mean to be together? And there are people who would answer that if we're all tuned into the same stream in a chat room together, that, that we're together. Mm-hmm. But how do we have this conversation with maybe not just other pastors, but with our church members and not make them feel guilty if they miss a Sunday or if they do choose to worship online? And I sent this to a couple of you guys just to hear your feedback. But I had a church in my area post something like this. And I thought, man, if I posted that, I'd probably take a lot of heat. And the post said, um, just like you can't raise a child through FaceTime calls or maintain a marriage over Zoom, a Christian cannot survive on Internet church. And I'm like, that's a bold statement for a church to put out right now? What, I, I don't know. Where do, you, where do you guys land on that? I mean, I, I wouldn't. I, I think it's. I think that particular post is too far. Uh, I wouldn't post it, especially in the environment we're in. Um, you know, the, the principle of uh, being providentially hindered comes into play here uh, where, you know, I mean, I, I think we have to view, we're starting to get to the point where the, the difficult thing to discern is what people, what folks in our church are, providentially hindered from something legitimate like uh if i come to the in-person gathering i could potentially expose myself and then i won't be able to see my dad who is 88 years old in a nursing home and i don't know how much time i have left with him okay uh i'm not sure that that's you know something where i can say well that's not a legitimate reason this is what's so hard about being a pastor right now we're trying to like tell people what's a legitimate reason to not be at church and what's not. And like, I wasn't prepared to do that. So I think that's, you know, that everybody for a while was providentially hindered. Um, I think you could make the case that even uh, particular local mandates, you know, that we're seeing in different parts of the country, make it so that you're providentially hindered. You, you know, it's against the law for you to gather or against the mandate at least. And so that's where it becomes difficult to discern our people are, you know, in one particular case of this person who hasn't been here for for a month like I there, so there's a guy in my church he is uh he's not from here he's a you know he's a um somebody from another country and there are cultural things that are going on with him that make him take covid 
way differently than people who live here. So he hasn't been to church. We've been meeting in person outdoors since like June. He came to one meeting, a prayer meeting we had outdoors like in May, and he showed up late, which is also kind of a cultural thing. And he, uh, the rest of us who had been at the, at the meeting had worn masks during the meeting. And then when most people left, there was about five of us left, you know, and, and we all sat on my back deck pretty far distanced and we, we didn't have our masks on. So when this guy rolled up 45 minutes late and the prayer meeting was kind of already done, he came and joined us and sat on the deck with us, but he still had his mask on. But then I haven't seen him since. And so I my impression is that made him really uncomfortable that we were sitting, you know, together out, you know, and this was back in May when, you know, things were what they were. So but every time I talk to him on the phone, he's like, yeah, I'm listening to every sermon. I'm you know, he's uh, from what I can tell, he's still giving online. He's still very engaged in the life of our church, but he's not coming to the in-person you know, services. So I don't know that there is a way for me to tell him, Hey, I'd love to see you without it coming across like guilt. And so I, you know, for now I I'm, I'm just kind of, it's just prayer. I mean, I'm just depending on the Lord to kind of move. We're leaning into this. Um, in November, I'm on a preaching team at church and pastors asked us to write the whole series for that. And, uh, being how it's post everything coming up and coming to the end of the year, we're, we, we, we decided we're going to really lean into the assurance of faith. So we're just going to do exposition of, of Hebrews 10. And the hard part is if you're going to do a straight exposition in Hebrews 10, it says you should not forsake the assembling together. And to be honest, when we lean into that, that wasn't why, but it's there. And uh, so today at, uh, at 3.30 here, we're having our team sermon writing meeting, and we're going to fight for what does that mean, how we handle that verse. Um, because you, we've seen pastors say, see you wicked people living in sin, not gathering, but then you've seen other people just ignoring it. Um, what I'm going to submit, uh, I mean, I've put some thought into it, and I've talked to some other pastors I know is, listen, scripture does say that. And I think the best pastoral advice that I can give to someone who's going through what does it mean to come back to church is this. I'm not going to answer that question for you. Should you or should you not come? That's that's your body. That's your, that's yourself. But what I'm going to encourage you is this. When are you coming? You need to start that conversation. The conversation that says, hey, listen, when numbers get here or when this thing happens, like as, as a family, we need to start having the conversation because I don't know about you, but in our congregation, the people who aren't coming back, um, I've been asking them. So, you know, I'm not telling you you need to come back, but have you thought about like what needs to happen for you to come back? And they're like, well, we really don't know. I was like, well, maybe, maybe that's what Hebrew 10s is for you. You really need to sit down and, and start saying, what needs to happen? And, uh, and, and specifically, I've been going to some of the men because, you know, I said, listen, this is a, just a great opportunity for you to lead in your families. So um, and that's the encouragement. We're going to handle it, Tim, because, yeah, um, Hebrews 10 goes hard enough that I don't really need to bust them over that because there's some other stuff. But, yeah, um, just encourage them to begin having that conversation, because I do think pastorally we are held accountable for that. So the question then for you is not if they're coming back, but when are they coming back? When? Saying. And, and, and are you having that conversation that will lead to that? Do you guys, so. is this too bold of a statement to say that like there will be a time, I'm guessing within the next year or so, that like COVID is going to dissipate to the sense that like whether through vaccines or herd immunity, like there will be a time where the mass won't be an issue. We will be able to gather. That's not too bold to say, right? Like we're not too like thinking this is going to be a, a new normal for most forever. people. There's going to be some people who I think are just stuck in this. Guys, we're we're in phase three in Florida. If you haven't heard, so we're, <laughs> we're practically there now. Florida well, phase said, three since some my, February. Yeah, I said to some of my Florida. elders. And leaders here, I said, listen, the decisions that are difficult for us now, do we meet inside, outside? Those are just going to get harder before they get better when mandates get lifted. Exactly. Right now, That's there's a exactly sense in which it's, it's a lot easier because it's like, well, Baltimore County says we have to wear masks inside. Yep. So it's really not a discussion. But when they say that we don't have to, then what are we as a church doing? Because now you're getting into stewardship and shepherding and it's just going to get harder. So I think the question that like I want to answer 
and maybe this is not a question for today and for another show, is what are we doing thinking in the next year, maybe year and a half of like, let's say uh, vaccine comes out later this year and let's say some, if not most of the country takes it or whatever, however that works out. I don't know. Probably there's people who won't take the vaccine, right? And then like COVID numbers decrease to the point where it's, it's, it's not even worth talking about. What is your plan in terms of saying, okay, we're at a place where there's no more restrictions and we feel comfortable with meeting. What is your plan on getting people to to come to church? And then on top of that, what are you going to do with all this new infrastructure that you've created to reach people online? And for me, like – like, like one thing I thought was really cool is there's a couple of churches in California, and I think there's churches across the country doing this, but I, I think I saw Mariners do this. They had, um, because of COVID, you know, most of our Easter services were 100% online and all that kind of stuff. So they had a second Easter. And I don't know if that's a little blasphemous, but like they had a second Easter where basically they had like an Easter service on their lawn at their church to gather people together. And and for me, I'm thinking through of like, what are those creative, like the same energy and creativity I had to reach people online? Like, what's the creativity I'm going to have like in June of next year or September of next year when I think that's when things are going to be almost back to normal, that I'm going to be able to say, how are we going to get people back to church? How are we going to reach the new people that we've been drawing? Because I don't know about you guys, but because of online streaming, there's multiple church hoppers that have been checking out my church. And now we like they're, they're in online small groups. And, and I'm hearing like, this person's from this church, this person's from that church, and they're thinking about coming. Like, what are you going to do in the next few months as COVID takes a downward turn to say we're going to change and pivot the way we do church, or are you just kind of living in the moment? That's the thing I'm thinking about is like, we know what we're doing right now. What am I doing in March of next year? You know, First of all, I claim that prophetic word that you just uttered, that it will go away. Yes. <laughs> Name yes. it and claim it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think for us, one of the things, so number five uh, in this list that on demand will eclipse um, you know, the, the, uh, live stream option, um, something I I've been, I think we talked about this before, but trying to just get creative with like how we do a live stream. Um, right now, one of the things I do is I clip our live stream after the fact so that it's just the sermon. Um, I haven't gotten to the point where I've clipped it into like, you know, bite sized things. Part of it for me is, you know, we're a very small church. I'm the only staff member. So it's just me doing it. So I need to find some people in my church to help me do that. Uh, number one, I've got a couple younger guys in my church who I think could do it, who are into like streaming and stuff. Um, but the other thing we're thinking about is like, so what are the things that can happen in an in-person gathering that really can't happen online? And is there a way to shape our online live stream after the fact that people can and probably should be coming to the in-person gathering? Um, are there ways to shape our live stream so that it sort of the live stream is like an on-ramp to the full-on experience of being there in person? Of course, the community part of it, I would argue, yes, you can be present with one another in a way online, but not in the same way as you can in person. And I think the in-person way is a fuller experience. But I think that there are things like communion. Um, there are things like testimonies that happen in the room that I don't think are reproducible online. Um, and so we're talking about like, what would it look like to shape our service in such a way that there are segments of it that we stream and segments of it that we don't. And we make it like a, Hey, this is a, you know, this is a family experience that you can't, you know, you can't do online. And so we've talked about you, you know, switching from doing like a typical live stream on Facebook or YouTube live to doing the live stream part, like on zoom and having like a screen in the room where we can see them in the room with us. Um, but then only zooming that part, that's like the teaching and the, maybe the prayer time and stuff and maybe the singing. And then the other stuff that's more like intimate, like communion would not be streamed. That's something that actually kind of goes back to like the ancient church, uh, you know, closing off communion time to only the members. Uh, so there's a sense in which you're almost doing like an ancient future type of thing there. So that's kind of how we're thinking through it. You know, how we encourage people to come once this is over. I mean, for me, that's just going to be one-on-one -on -one conversations with people where it's like, hey, you know, and I think this goes to asking questions now, like Dell, I think what you said was great. Like, hey, what's your, what, what are the standards for your family going forward? Because I do think being intentional about it is a, is a big deal. 
my family and I are right now talking about eating indoors. We haven't eaten in a restaurant indoors. And uh, I've, you know, I talked to my wife on yesterday afternoon, like, hey, is it time for us to start thinking about it? The numbers are here. You know, this is what it means. You know, obviously, we don't need to eat indoors, but we're having that conversation. Why wouldn't we have those conversations about church as well? Yeah. One of the things we're doing and I'm doing at a small level, because I think where Jeff's at is, is very important. We have to be having an intentional conversation about everything that goes online and whether it should. Because there's some things we should bring to the people and there's some things that uh-uh, the people should be here. Um, if they're going to be a part of it, one of the things I'm doing off of the out of outside of the worship experience or, you know, gathering um, to help with the recovery is I'm developing relationships with my local pastors as best as I can. I take about one day every two weeks and I dedicate that day to visiting pastors in my community because of what Frank said, the church hopping is going to be nasty. Um, and just, you know, I had, um, uh, a friend, uh, he showed up at our church and I know where he worships and I know his pastor, his pastor is a friend of mine. So I reached out to his pastor and I was like, Hey, he's here. What, what about this? And actually his pastor told me, Hey, I told him to go to your church because he told me where his family was and with the restrictions that y'all have alleviated. I actually think that it would be better if his family was at your church. Cool. I just want to make sure that, that their discipleship is not being overlooked or handed over or running from something or to something. And meanwhile, um, I shared with you guys in the podcast last week about how someone in a very high leadership position at my congregation was church shopping and just left without saying anything. Um, after that podcast we did, the pastor from that church rolled into my office and was like, hey, so we know this guy and he was a big deal. Can you tell us what happened? And I was like, we can. And he was actually able to be like, whoa, thank you for the breaks, you know, because we didn't know. Um, and there was like no ill talking. It was just like, here's the facts. But if we would not have had the relationship, he would not have felt comfortable to walk into my office and I would not have felt comfortable to walk into there. So I think one of the best things we can do as local pastors is to be in community with the other pastors. So that way, when the chips start falling as they may, we can, if anything, make sure our people are being uh, are being discipled and held accountable. Awesome. Hey, uh, Jeff, let's uh, transition to our next clergy clip that you brought to us today. So uh, a few a few days ago, I guess it was on like September seventeenth. I can see um, there was a post in the practically pastoring Facebook group. Which, if you're listening to this and you're not in the group, get on that. Shame um, on you. Also follow on Instagram. And YouTube as well, because stuff goes on there. Uh, but there was a post, and this will tie into our main conversation later, uh, from a guy that actually Frank and I went to school with. And um, he basically said, hey, here's a situation that happened. I was let go unexpectedly. I didn't have a warning. Um, you know, some hurtful things were said. Uh, and he has a young, uh, young baby, a two-year-old daughter and a pregnant wife. And so... Um, they're moving in with parents. And so he asked a few questions. Uh, when you get burned, hurt, just blindsided, let go by a church. And I would say when you get hurt by a church, if you're in ministry, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, when you get hurt by a church, how do you deal with it? How do you recover from it? How do you move on? Um, and then how do you get, you know, he's asking, how do you get past the thought of just leaving ministry? Um, and I've, I've grappled with that. Maybe I can share a little bit of that here, but, um, and then how do you, uh, get over the feelings towards people that hurt you, um, for him that he's looked up to for a long time. And how do you help your family deal with this? Cause they're going to be hurt as well. Uh, so I will give you a, a, just a brief version of my story and how I, you know, hopefully overcame it. Um, for two years in Orlando, I was part of a staff of a church that was going to be an interim, uh, position. When we came on staff, we were told, uh, yeah, we know on paper it's interim, but we want you here long term. Um, and so in my youthful zeal, I guess I kind of just went with that and thought, you know, this is what it is. Um, and for the first year, it was pretty good. I was a multi-staff. I was one of the associate pastors. In year two, uh, the person that was playing the role of lead pastor um, 
really hadn't ever been a lead pastor before. He had been uh, president of a Christian institution, and so he kind of approached it as a CEO model, and that didn't work with the with kind of the the ethos of the church. And so the second year was pretty rough, and uh, we got to we we had a lot of like eight hour long elder meetings on Saturdays and just, just crazy dysfunctional stuff. Um, and because at that point, um, you know, it, the agreement was a two year interim thing that really started to be hammered on. And so, uh, we were at the end of that pretty disillusioned because we had one picture going in and that actually wasn't what happened. Uh, and so for me, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, a lot of bitterness crept in there. Uh, I was pretty bitter for a long time and, um, honestly time helped a lot, but then there was just a lot of just prayer and just, you know, kind of dealing with the selfishness that was going on inside of me. Um, and just having to learn to forgive in a way that I really probably hadn't learned to forgive up to that point. And the reality is I wasn't a perfect pastor either. I mean, it's not like I did everything perfectly right and they just let me go out of nowhere. That's not what happened. Um, was I hurt by the church? Absolutely. Was my wife hurt by the church? Absolutely. Um, but part of it is just understanding the expectation that church is full of people, uh, just like you who make bad decisions and who do things that they shouldn't do. And that's just honestly part of being in ministry. I don't know a pastor who's in ministry today who doesn't have a story like this, uh, or some crazy story of something. And so I just think, you know, young guys listening, young, young women listening, if you're just getting into ministry, you need to change your expectations that there is going to be some hurt that's going to happen by a church and that the Lord will use it if you will let him. Um, or you can make the choice to, to not, you know, let him use it fully and uh, get out of ministry. And, and that may be the right thing for you. And we've talked about that in the past. You know, if you start being the problem and it's you against everybody at the church, it might be time for you to move on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that this is hard and this is why older people in ministry tell you ministry is hard. It just is. Yeah, Jeff, that's really good. I think what's so interesting about it happening today versus it happening 10 or 15 years ago, it's extra, it, what's, what's great. Okay. I'll say this. What's great about it happening today is you might actually have a network of people to turn to. So I had this conversation with my dad who was in ministry for 20 years about the difference of connecting with other pastors. Because when he was in ministry in the late eighties, early nineties, it was a territorial thing. You did not connect with other pastors that you, you didn't, you didn't want to, you didn't want anybody going to their church. You didn't want to be seen with them. So, and it's just so different because, you know, Andrew and I, we, we hang out every single week. We, we hang out every single week. Now we have our, our practically pastoring Facebook group, we have guys we can, and girls we can talk to and relate to. So my big thing for church hurt now is don't go through the church hurt alone because chances are someone in your network has also gone through that church hurt too. I, I was let go from my first ministry job and it was, you know, it, it the church was going through a lot of stuff. I was told that I was not being fired. I was being freed to pursue seminary full time in the middle of February because that's when semesters begin. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it was a thing where 13 out of like 18 full time employees at this church were all freed to pursue these other things. And then we all looked around like, oh, wow. OK, I see what they were doing now. And it took time to get over the hurt of that. And then five ish years later, um, I was on staff at a church while I was finishing seminary and with kind of the promise of here's what this position is going to look like when you finish seminary and we've got this all made for you. And then a new family pastor was hired and, and brought in um, six months before that transition happened. And he and I just did not click and he made it kind of a, a, made abundantly clear that I was not in his long-term plans. And despite my relationship with the executive pastor and despite my plan, my relationship with the the senior pastor, he and I just weren't going to become besties. And so we kind of felt like it was God leading us to move from Texas back home. And in both of those situations that, you know, I kind of felt betrayed and felt like, you know, this, this isn't fair. Why is this happening? God blessed me and my wife. And then the second time, you know, our growing family so, so much. Um, I don't know that I would have had the courage to, pursue seminary full-time when I did, if it was not for that. And if I didn't pursue seminary full-time when I did, 
I think eventually if the kids would have started showing up financially, it wouldn't have been possible. And I don't think that part of my life would have happened. And then when we moved back home to Florida a little bit with our tail between our legs, I didn't envision that the next chapter of ministry would look like it did either. And I think when, whenever God moves you from one situation to another, you can either kind of dig your heels in and be bitter and say, you know, oh, shucks, woe is me, this isn't fair. Or you can be like, oh, all right, God, what what is it that you have for me next? And the two difficult transitions that I went through in ministry, both of them just, you know, months later, I could look back and be like, holy cow, God, yeah. this was something that you were delivering me from. You know, the first church went through a season of upheaval and it was all kinds of a mess. The second one, I literally got a call from that boss that I didn't get along with um, maybe three weeks after I'd moved back to Tampa. And he was, and the call said, went something like, you know, I was told to ask if you would be willing to come back because somebody else had resigned. And so, you know, now told he, to ask. exactly. I'm like, so you're not asking me if I'm willing to come back. Wow. You were told to ask me <laughs> if I'm willing to come back. I got feel it. that. And it was just like the Holy Spirit just kind of like, you know, giggling in my ear saying like, see, like we, I've got you. This is, this is the path that I have you on. And it's not always the easiest path, but if we didn't deal with resistance, we would probably stay on the same path that we're on for forever. We're creatures of habit. We like comfort. And sometimes God is trying to move us out of our comfort zone. And sometimes getting moved out of your comfort zone sucks. There's no, there's no way around it. And sometimes you're not going to have the the courage or the fortitude or whatever it may be to make that leap on your own. And so God is going to give you a little push. Yeah. Every time I think about these transitions or these wounds that you receive from people, um, two things really come to my mind. It's it's we must remember the nature of man and the character of God, you know, um, and because I know a lot of times in these church, the people who've hurt me are people who I love um, and. Uh, I think it was it was either R.C. Sproul or Alistair Begg. They said it on a Ligonier um, conference. They said, you know, the uh, the best of men are men at best. And and I think it's that's one of the things I have to keep reminding myself is like everyone who I interact with, even the men I put on pedestals, they're still men. You know, they're they're not perfect. And sometimes we carry the burden of some of their decision making. Right. Um, and it's in that where I really just run straight to the character of God. And basically what you you guys have been weaving the last five minutes is 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 looking and leaning upon his sovereignty, knowing that he is going to guide you. Um, and that nothing happens to us that doesn't doesn't first pass through his hands, even though even though at it, 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 that moment it seems very painful and it seems very hard. Um, I will be willing to bet everyone on uh, in this podcast today could say you in part are where you are and it wouldn't have happened if there wasn't some wound and or some kind of guidance. And, and I will say even this, there might have been some evil in it. I mean, we look at scripture. You know, Joseph sold into slavery and and what's this big kind of thing he comes to what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So if you're someone right now and you're and you're going through something, uh, I would just encourage you to lean into his goodness and his plan, even if you don't understand it and know that, like, um, if you call it according to his purpose, he's working all things out uh, for that good. I I would add one one thing to what Del was saying, and it's like, yes, there might have been evil in it, but it's also really easy to look and be like, you know, what did I do? But sometimes you need to really look at me like, no, no, seriously, like, what did I do? Yeah. Where where did I fall short? Because, you know, in both of the situations that I described, one of them, you know, I was super immature and probably should have never gotten the job to begin with. And there was a whole lot of growing up that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And the other one was, you know, when someone just because you've been somewhere longer than somebody else doesn't mean that you don't need to treat them like they're the boss when they're the boss. And so in both of those situations, whereas to say, you know, oh, I, you know, I was let go for cause that wasn't the case. It's not like, you know, you hear student, you hear stories of pastors getting fired for all kinds of crazy stuff. And it wasn't anything like that. But in both situations, I could look back and be like, oh, here's what I could have done differently. Here's how I could have responded to people differently. And here's how I can learn from that moving forward. And then still six months later, in both of those situations, it was like, thank you, God, for kind of moving me on to the next phase of my life. But you can still learn from what you could have done better, even if leaving was the right thing to do. 
Sure. Can I push on that a little bit? I think like we should no, I'm like push it further down your direction in the same way. Like I think even if you feel like it wasn't your fault, if you felt like there's nothing you can learn, then it probably was your fault. (laughs) You know, know, like, like, cause there should always be something we learn when we go through any kind of transition in life. Um, Cause none of us are perfect administrators of grace, (laughs) you know? I mean, I was going to make a joke after hearing Delmar's part about saying something about Jeremiah 29, 11 and being like, but the plans <laughs> God has for me. But then I was like, you guys are being serious. I don't want to mess with the mood here. Um, but I do agree. I do agree. Like, um, like every time I've been hurt by people, I, I, I was rereading the, the post he made and he talks about like, how do you handle people who have hurt you that you look up to and respect and stuff like that. And like, I, I, you know, everyone said everything. It's like, you know, People are people, people are sinful, people misjudge and stuff like that. I think the biggest thing that I've learned over however many years of experience I've had is that when I have church hurt, it's very okay in that moment to feel the pain of the hurt and like process all that kind of stuff. But like, Dumbar, you kind of like, I know you, I don't know, I, I think you're being serious. It's like, if you can't find something you can learn from this, then like, you're probably the dummy in that situation. Because like, most often than not, what I've learned, even the parts where it was 100% their fault and I did nothing wrong, is it taught me something about how to interact or what to look for when I'm in a position where I'm a subordinate or I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with people. I learned how to read people better because of these situations where like I walked into that job naive. I came out of that job with a little more experience. And so now that I can use that hurt, that pain that I just went through um, as a, now a tool in my toolbox of now how to interact with certain people or how to process certain conversations. And so I think whether whether that's through therapy, whether that's through other pastors um, coaching you and, and processing things with you, or whether that's really, really good self-awareness, I think that's super important. The one thing that we haven't talked about I think it's super important. And, I, and I, I, I feel this a lot. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this, is uh, the people who are oftentimes most affected by your church hurt is actually your family, like your spouse. Like, and one thing that like, I have wrestled with this conversation in my mind, and, and me and my wife have had this discussion multiple times, is how much do I share with her of what's going on? And like, how, like, what do I share with her without worrying her? And what do I share with her that I feel like is necessary for her to know for the sake of our marriage and stuff like that? Because at the end of the day, like, there are sometimes I'm dealing with church hurt that has nothing to do with her and ultimately would not affect her. But if I share it with her, it's ultimately going to affect her and her feelings towards those other people, especially if there's other staff members you're supposed to be cordial with. And so... um, I think one day we should have a whole episode of just like spouses and families and how we like involve them in our ministry or don't involve them because I think there's a whole episode that we could talk about there. Frank, what if we, what if we had a spouse takeover? What if our spouses came on the show? (laughs) Whoa. Crazy. Crazy. Be pretty wild. We all, we we all green screened. And so they weren't in the exact space. Are we all nominating our wives to do something they haven't agreed to? That's great content. People would have to guess who was whose spouse. They couldn't use our name. <laughs> That'd be funny. That'd hey, be super fun. If all if all of our if all of our spouses are in, like in it, I'm I'm sure. I think Corey would be into it. I, I would. I have to ask her. She's. I mean, I she's think Amy'd shot. be into it. But like, we can't be in the show. It's 100 no. percent them. Oh my gosh! Can you so, imagine the hour and a half or two hours of pacing we would do? <laughs> we would not be able to they, do that. And they get to edit and post it before yep. we. My wife does not know how to use uh, Premiere Pro. Pre- Appropriate, whatever it's called. Premiere Pro. Appropriator? What are you talking about? Whoa. Premiere Pro. What? I'm I'm so nervous about this episode that I forgot the name (laughs) of Premiere Pro. You're nervous about a theory that hasn't even. All right. I'm going to add two things on the end of this discussion. Number one, uh, I would just say for those of you who are in a situation where you're starting to feel embattled and you feel like, ooh, maybe I'm going to get fired and it's not fair and all that, uh, I would just say, remember. You cannot force a church to like want you. Uh, you you know you you cannot force a leadership team to want you to have it on it, and that may hurt. And I know that it hurts, but you can't force people to want you to lead them. You just can't. Uh, and so, if they're to the point where they're saying we don't want you to lead us, take that as a grace of God that you know, like like we've all basically said, there's probably another opportunity down the road, and don't do something stupid at the end. That will burn your future. Um, fighting for something that 
actually isn't even an option because there's a point at which you get to a place in a church where th- there really is not a future for you there. Um, and it's really hard. And I think, you know, there can be times when, when that can flip and you can, you know, I'm not saying there's no redemption, but I'm just saying if it's like I've been let go, uh, don't do something that will then follow you to the next place and be part of your sort of, you know, your, your, your legacy, so to speak. And then the last thing, and this goes with what Frank just was talking about with the wife episode. Uh, the last thing he asked is like, what do you do to help your family and try to be strong for them? And my opinion on the strong for them thing is you need to just be free of that lie. Like, I don't think it's your job to be strong for your, the way you're strong for your family is to be vulnerable with your family. Uh, because I, I just think God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I don't, I, I think there can be times when the attempt to be strong for your spouse is really about you not wanting to let your spouse all the way into your pain. And uh, I just think that's, that's an unhealthy place to be. So that's my opinion on it. We, I may be, you know, rebuked by one of you, but that, that's what I think about that. So I would just say like, don't be in the bondage of I have to be strong for them. So I can't actually process this with my spouse who you've made a covenant with for forever. That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, I want to transition into our final segment. The, the, the main topic of today is uh, it's, and it's a little lighter. I feel like it's a little lighter topic. Than with but kind of related about. to what we just but talked it's kind about. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of related. Uh, pastoral site. Pastor side hustles, right? Like some of it, sometimes it comes out of necessity. Sometimes it comes out of a hobby. There's a bunch of different reasons why we do side hustles. So if you have, so I can tell you right now, Jeff and I had a side hustle together. We've talked about it before. We had a t-shirt printing company. Okay. Slash, but let's be, let's be straight. It was a side hobby because it, it didn't like, pay us anything. <laughs> but we shipped internationally. We hustled dude. though. We, we hustled. We, we hustled. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we 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 yeah, it was a, it was a thing we did. Um, but like, I mean, I mean, we were printing banners and doing other stuff, a lot of design work, which I think it t- tends to be, you know, when you are a solo pastor trying to just grind your way in ministry and you have to do all the jobs in your church, it seems like the creative stuff like printing and designing tends to kind of boil to the top because it's just something we have to do it all. We have to have Adobe for our work. Let me also make a couple bucks on the side while I do it. Right. And so it seems like that seems to be the situation. But um, but I know, guys, uh, I think of my buddy, Anthony, who uh, did, did mechanic work for, for people, you know, and made money like that. So what are so I guess be asked is what are some side hustles you guys have done? And then we'll ask the reason why. I uh, my favorite side hustle that I do is I'm a, do videography. Um, I got a wedding the 10th and I got another wedding the first week of December. Um, I shoot events for Sumter, which is the city I live in. Um, I shoot one in Lake City, which is about 20 minutes away. Um, I started it because just I love videography. I was doing it when I was a student pastor because my church had like not many people in it. I was like, you know, if you're not big, look big. So I went and got a camera and started filming. And I realized, man, I really like this. And then my brother, um, he does this professionally. He shoots conferences. He travels America shooting videos. So um, I kind of worked out a deal with him. Hey, I'll be your second shooter in a wedding for a a season if you give me this gear. So he gets a tax write off and I get gear. And uh, what it's turned into for me is a place to really have just some supplemental cash for like going on vacations and taking care of Christmas. But one of the coolest things that I've experienced by doing the side hustle in the same town that I'm in is I have been, um, I have interacted with so much more of the community that is just not churched. Like I, I shoot video for, um, these people in our town who, quite honestly, they own a lot of the town. And so when I shoot for a lot of their events, I'm meeting people that never darken the doors of the churches around here because they're too busy. And so consequently, when I see people at, at, at uh, TJ Maxx or Walmart or in the, you know, the restaurant they're Hey, Delmar, I don't know if they know me because I'm a pastor or because I'm a videographer. And uh, I actually kind of like how my side hustle in some ways has helped out just me being able to wrap my arms around this community, but yeah. So this, the, uh, the side hustle conversation for Andrew and I goes back quite a few years. It's one of the reasons that we're still friends today. And a friend's a friend forever. He, he always breaks Lord, out into song when we... If you make money on the side with them. <laughs> and invest it into a good Roth IRA. I'm sorry. Hey, the why is very simple. I have five kids. Andrew has four kids. We, we needed a way to... Uh, 
like you said, they'll pay for Christmas, uh, pay for a vacation every now and then. So the side hustle became very, very important for my family income early on. Uh, Andrew and I, we've, we've written for DYM as a side hustle. Me personally, I, I work now on the side for a video production company. And we primarily, as of late, have been Zooming and live streaming funerals for people all over the country, which has been a really cool industry. And it's, it's been booming. So we have a great relationship with some area funeral homes. As long as people are dying, Tim is making money. Oh and these funeral homes don't know how to do these things. And oh my, we know how to live broadcast I, services, I watched, so it's something we know how to do. Listen, I'm going to be making some phone calls after we get off of here. <laughs> I watched a funeral broadcast from a funeral home from someone that, that I knew, and it was the worst thing. And I and yep. knowing the little bit of the funeral industry that, that I know, mm-hmm. I'm like, they probably charged this family $1,000 to have a camera set up in the back of the room. And I guarantee you it was more than that, but yes. Yeah. Um, so I do a little bit of that with so video production. Uh, my brother is a filmmaker. So whenever he makes a film, I do my best to get on set. And as long as I have one speaking role, I get to make the actor's minimum, which is not so terrible. And I also teach Bible at my kid's school one Friday a month. And I'm a substitute as well for the same school. So multiple revenue streams has been a part of my life for a while now. Uh, when I got brought on as lead pastor at my church, I made sure they knew that I, I do dabble in multiple revenue streams, but it will never interfere or have a, any sort of major impact on my life as a pastor. You know, to be fair, interject, I think that so it would be it would do well for churches to realize sometimes sometimes pastors have side hustle because I need an outlet like like one of the things I hate that I don't get to do anymore is I don't get to create like I used to. And, and having that is like the best way for me just to get it out of my system. Like sometimes it's not even about the money sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost therapeutic in its own self. Well, it's always about the money for me because <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan. Um, so like Tim and I, we did a whole lot of uh, download youth ministry work together for years and years. It slowed down in our roles as senior pastors, but that's probably been the most consistent side hustle that, uh, that I ever got to be a part of another one of it. You know, I know there's philosophical differences with everybody, but there was a season that I would do, you know, two or three weddings a month for people. I didn't know there's a service called thumbtack that is always looking for people to do weddings. And in Florida, we have tourists constantly wanting to come down and get married at the beach or, you know, wanting to get married somewhere. And the way that I look at it is you're never going to lead someone to Jesus by telling them that they're not good enough for you to be, to, to marry them. And so my standard for marrying people that are members of my church is very different than if two people say, Hey, we want to get married. Will you do it? I say, if I'm allowed to present the gospel, however I want in your service, then you can have my signature on your piece of paper. And so, um, you know, that, that was a season, the, the when I was not preaching every Sunday morning, doing a couple weddings per Saturday was a neat extra side hustle that doesn't quite as make as much sense for my family anymore. And with the kind of changing of the seasons coming into a the senior ministry position here as the download youth ministry royalties were not making as much as they were because Tim and I just really we weren't pumping out resources the way that we used to. My wife started to teach for a company called VIP Kid. Um, which kind of replaced that income for our family. And she was a teacher before we had four boys in six years. And so it kind of gave her the creative outlet of, you know, being a teacher and, and contributing that way. And so she is up at 5 a.m. a couple days a week teaching English to little boys and girls in China via the FaceTime camera in her laptop. So VIP kid, if you want a referral code, I will <laughs> gladly give you my wife's because you need a bachelor's degree and any experience with children and you can teach kids English. They do all the lesson plans and everything, but that's something that she has really enjoyed. I, I mean, I know um, I did DYM as well. And I think like, you know, at least for sure, four of us, Jeff, did you do anything for like DYM or some other youth ministry company? Or something? <laughs> I wrote like one one thing for youthmen.org and that was it. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I think especially in youth ministry, it kind of lends itself to being very easy and accessible to write curriculum and be a part of it. Um, and like, if you get into the world of like conference speaking and stuff like that, like that's, it's all right. Like there's decent money to be made sometimes. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's definitely like, 
exposure type of thing. But when you become a senior pastor or like a lead pastor, like those those opportunities are are seems more difficult because like. I mean, you're not you're not gonna put your money on Sermon Central and like make money off of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, but it's 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 definitely interesting. What I loved about DYM is there was definitely synergy, right? Like you write you're you're already creating stuff for your ministry. You just have to make sure it's edited in such a way, and then boom, you you can make a very good passive income. But um, but that kind of stuff doesn't really exist outside of that. I do I do have a question. You kind of hinted towards this, Tim. Is is there ever a moment where you should feel guilty about doing a side hustle? Like like is there ever because like I sometimes wonder, like Delmar, your 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 side hustle is very public, right? You're in the community, you're doing videos. Andrew, you're doing weddings to strangers. <laughs> like like do you ever feel like there's might be an elder or someone like looking at you and like, are we not paying you enough? Like, why are you doing this? Like, do you ever feel guilt about your side hustle? I try to set some boundaries in my side hustle that keep me from crossing that line. For example, I'm never going to do um, a job for someone in town on behalf of the church and charge money. Um, so one of the things, my side hustle, I train people in my church how to run cameras um, and uh, a new business comes to town and I want to shoot a highlight video to them. I will go shoot a highlight video of them for free and just give it to them as a gift from our church to them. I've had them try to come back and uh, and pay me. I was like, I can't. I'm, I'm doing this on behalf of the church. If, if we were talking about this on the side over here, but I really never blend the streams of, of revenue and my ministry. Yeah, I think we do have to be a little bit careful here. So that's why I'm very vocal about my my side hustles with my elders, with our church staff, and, and with a lot of our church people as well. It's been an issue in the past. Uh, our previously pastor, he did have a job on the side, and it was seen somewhat negatively because people thought it was really taking away a lot of his time from focusing on the church. So I try to make sure and make it a point that I'm usually doing my side hustle work on my days off, or if it does coincide with a typical work day, I'll then replace that work that side off, that day off with a, with a church work day. I've got something for a, a buddy of of mine um, has a side hustle that people know that he does, but they don't know how lucrative it is. Mm. And there are regular seasons where he will make more from his side hustle than he makes from his full-time ministry position. So the ministry position is the side hustle in that case. Well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have the uh, health benefits from the side hustle, but the actual, like the dollars and cents, it's a, it's a big, whoa, you know, and, and his struggle is that he does not want people in the church to know how lucrative the side hustle is. Mm. And so he and his family, when they tithe on that side hustle, it's they're sponsoring missionaries separately, you know, missionaries that their church supports that they're writing checks directly to that missionary so that, or to, you know, that missions organization so that it's not funneling through the church office because which, you know, I certainly get that there's, there's other components in, in that as well, but to have the side hustle that is so successful that you don't want people to know, that's the dream, right? That's yeah. <laughs> but that's definitely my advice for those who are considering a side hustle. What are you already good at? Where, where are you naturally gifted? Like yeah. in, in Dell's situation, he was already doing videos for student ministry. It made sense for him to get into the world of videography. And it was the same um, for me for, for video production. I just had connections with guys and, and they needed extra help there. And so it made sense for me to step into that role. So I, I, I would hope that you wouldn't try to go out and learn a whole new something. But what are you already good at that you can use and maybe you'll actually enjoy uh, doing your side hustle too. Yeah, I would love like, for like one minute. I would love to hear like if you were skilled in something, what could be a good overlay for pastors? Like one thing I was actually thinking, uh, I was telling this to Jeff before you guys all got on, is I wish Jeff had a uh, a PC so we could play video games with each other, and so it's we could never start Twitch. Happen. I want to start a Twitch channel, and I think because I I already play video games, it's already fun and like relaxing to me. If I could just have some like some fun talking to someone else while playing it and like have some sort of like passive revenue from Amazon for Twitch. Like I would love that. I mean, I, don't, I have no idea how that world works, but what about you guys? Like what are some like side hustles that maybe there's someone listening that could be like, Oh, I never thought I could do that as a side hustle. Well, I mean, something I've done in the past is like, other than the videography and the website building stuff that we've kind of already touched on uh, is uh, I've made a few like uh, pieces of furniture for people. Um, so a little bit of woodworking is always something fun. I'm kind of learning that I'm 
project oriented in terms of that stuff. So I like having some kind of project like on the side that I can do. So right now, because I live in an older parsonage, that side project is the house I live in. And so there's a, there's a long list of painting and fixing the backyard up and all kinds of stuff. Um, but I've done a little tiny bit of woodworking on the side, building a few tables with benches. And it's pretty satisfying. I mean, you know, because they pay you to do it and it's not a huge income thing, but it's like vacation money, put it aside, whatever. Um, now, something that I've done here uh, since I've been the pastor here, since I've been a senior pastor, I guess, is uh, funerals for the people in the community. Um, which has also been a little bit like what Andrew said, a little bit of an opportunity to connect with people. But funeral homes here occasionally call me and say, "Are you available to meet with this family?" And um, and it, you know, it it actually it pays pretty well. Um, now you have on here when should you not do a side hustle? And I think you shouldn't do a side hustle if you're planning to leave your church as a way to leave. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not healthy. You should talk to somebody about like what your plans are, but like don't blindside a church with like, Hey, by the way, I quit and I'm going to be doing this. So you're saying that like my Cuban bringing Cuban sandwiches to Milwaukee, I can't just do that as my plan to leave my church. Uh, listen, you have your own elders to deal with on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed this. Frankie's we'll, food we'll, truck. That sounds awesome. Frankie's food awesome. truck. That's funny. Okay, listen. Cuban food truck is designed as a tank because Frank the Tank, dude. Yes, I'm in. Go with it. As a, oh yeah, I was gonna on, say, we want royalties now. Five percent. Okay, that's how that works. I yeah. have noticed mm-hmm. that a lot of pastors are also real estate agents. Have you ever have you noticed that there's like a lot of pastors who are also real estate? I've never heard a lot of pastors of Lord's Earth, have, man. A lot of pastors that have had affairs are real estate agents. Ouch. <laughs> okay. Yikes. Ouch. All right. Hey, moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, question of the week. Um, real quick. Pumpkin spice foods and drinks. Are we about it? Are we against it? What sayeth the Practically Pastoring podcast crew? Is this I a debate? The pumpkin spice life. Yeah, this Thank is not. You, this, is a, this is as much a debate as pineapple on pizza, of course. Stop. <laughs> you went somewhere where I was with you and then we were pizza. not together. <laughs> pumpkin spice there's, pizza? There's, okay, no. pu- there's pumpkin spice craft macaroni and cheese that's out right now. Oh, it came in Listen, from Canada. I, I, I pulled up an article of 15 things that are pumpkin spice that are really ridiculous. Let's hear it. Should, should I do it? Okay, here yes. we go. Yes. Oh, absolutely. This is from Wide Open Eats, a site I've never heard of that I Googled. <laughs> so <laughs> number one, pumpkin spice almonds. Yeah, maybe. Yes. I could see that. Okay. Uh, pumpkin pumpkin pie spice Pringles. Oh, this could know. be. See, this is in the world of this is in the world. I'm with you, Frank. This is in the world of dipping your French fries in a Wendy's frosty. Like delicious. Sounds <laughs> gross at first, but then when you, you do, do it, it, you're like, mm, oh, actually, oh, this is kind of good. Sense. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is combining things that don't need to be combined. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin spice candy corn. First of all, candy corn is disgusting. Uh, how dare corn. you? I, I, I love my boy loves that. Okay, love so candy corn. To me, this just makes something that's already terrible even weirder and worse. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well say pumpkin pie spice olives. Disgusting. Like why? Why would you do it? <laughs> <Ew. that? laughs> that's gross. Yeah. Okay, this one's really gross. Pumpkin spice hummus. Why? Oh. My uh, wife would eat that. Guys, oh. I, no, 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 no. Backtrack here. It actually tastes like pumpkin pie. We bought it last week. Ugh. What do you eat it on, though? Pumpkin pie? Just eat the pie. No, like or we, we did graham crackers. Chi- we did the pita chips in there, and it was incredible. Right. Okay, maybe. I, give right, it a maybe. shot. Give it a shot. All right, maybe. That's funny. Okay, I don't think this is real, but maybe. It says KFC pumpkin and feta twister. It's like a pumpkin and feta uh. chicken wrap. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's it's like, gross. What? Why? Okay, mm. pumpkin spice latte burger. This is apparently uh, a real thing at a place called Umami. Why? See, I, we I have can't get pumpkin on meat. That's weird. Listen, that's like a blended worship service. That it's not going to make anybody <laughs> happy. Yeah, everybody's upset, man. Either hymns or modern worship. Like, yeah. like you're not doing both. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Twinkies that are pumpkin spice. That sounds. I could yeah, like try do that. If I was going to eat a Twinkie, I could see that. Uh. Peeps, pumpkin spice latte peeps. I'm not again a with guy. the already I, gross. Why? Yeah. Uh, toothpaste, pumpkin pie spice toothpaste. Oh, uh. brushing your teeth with squash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. You got I, me. I can't funny. get around that. You got me. Uh, I, this one, I don't know what pumpkin spice soap on a rope. I mean, Ugh. just let's move on. 
Okay. Oh. Frank, this for you. Pumpkin spice beard oil. Maybe. That could smell good, Frank. That could smell good. It could, or it could smell horrible. It's going to go either way. It could smell good, or it could smell like the 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 whipped cream that got on you a little bit hours later. That's kind of oh, that's so that went sour. That is the worst. The fact we all know what that's like is is telling. Give us one more. Give it. Give us one more good one, Jeff. Okay. Uh, let me look at the list. Hold on. Mm, Oh, this one's kind of weird. Simply Beyond Pumpkin Spray, Pumpkin Spray on Spice. So it's pumpkin spice in a can, kind of like spray on like cooking oil, but you just sure. spray pumpkin spice on your food and eat it. Uh, see, I thought it was like like Ugh. the bathroom spray that you keep on the back of the toilet. No, it's like that an aerosol was, no, can spice. of like f- pumpkin spice flavoring that you it's just spray on top of It's a basic white girl's spritz Super. system. It's a basic white girl <laughs> spritzer is what it is. That's a, I don't pumpkin spice anything. But it the, does nothing for come me. Come on, the pumpkin cream cold brew is the greatest beverage oh, ever. Super good, Starbucks. It does sound good. Pumpkin pumpkin is one of those foods. It's kind of like stuffing where we've regulated it to like a certain time of the year, but like yeah. it's good year round. I love stuffing all day, every day. I know, but people when I talk about stuffing, people are like, it's only for Thanksgiving. I'm like, no. I can eat okay, this. Okay, let's just talk round. about breakfast foods. Why am I only allowed to eat eggs and bacon at breakfast? That's dumb. <laughs> That is an all day. These therapy. are the real the biscuits time. every these meal. Are the, these yeah. are the real issues that we have to yep. answer as a country. I wasn't uh, as absolutely. much into pumpkin spice life when I lived in Florida because it's still a billion degrees out in October. Mm-hmm. But now that I've moved somewhere that actually has seasons and like today, the leaves are starting to turn orange and like it's the weather's cooler. I'm 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 in 100 percent for the pumpkin spice life. Wow. I love it. Hey, well. I want to hear from you guys if you're about the pumpkin spice life. If you've had something interesting that's of a pumpkin spice derivative, I want to hear about it. Uh, put it in the show note. Put it in the comments on Instagram when we post this, or maybe even the Facebook group at Practically Password. We want to hear from you if you're into this pumpkin spice. If you're also, not into pumpkin spice, we don't want to hear from you. Also, if you are a uh, a, 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 com- a com- a comrade. Uh, what a buddy of mine. I'm trying to think of a what's that thing that Russians call each other? Comrade. 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 If you're a comrade <laughs> as me with the candy corn, please uh, explain your candy corn love as I do because I have a lot of haters on the show <laughs> who don't like candy corn. All one with, of you can message Frank. With that, yeah. <laughs> with, that, with that being said, hey, uh, please subscribe, like, all that kind of good stuff. Go to our YouTube, go to our Instagram, go to our Facebook, all that good stuff. And and, and make sure you help us get to 500 on Instagram. We're almost there. I want to give out some of these shirts, as you can see, the beautiful model of Del Mar wearing it right now. We want to get those yeah. shirts out. But we need to get to 500 people on Instagram. With that being said, uh, please join us next week. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And we are practically pastoring. See you next time. See ya.